another mom day. Happy mom day. Hope you guys had a great weekend and happy Halloween. It's Halloween today. I'm super excited about taking my kids trick-or-treating. I feel like this is the first year that it'll be like really just all fun because they're at like really fun ages and they can like, you know, go up to the houses by themselves. I might even have a little drink. I don't know. I just feel like this year is just different than all of the years before. Like last year, Connor was definitely independently trick-or-treating, um, but Scarlet wasn't. So this will be the first year I think that they'll both be independently trick-or-treating and we are trick-or-treating with our friends and their kids. And yeah, I'm just really looking forward to it. I'm also really looking forward to Christmas. <laughs> I'm totally that person. Like Chris and I are that household. We are those parents that like, as soon as the Halloween is over, we want Halloween down and Christmas up. I actually started my Christmas shopping this week. I bought, I actually bought quite a few gifts. So I'm pretty proud of that because I never start early, but I was talking to my best friend and I was saying like, okay, is this smart or am I just going to spend more? So stay tuned. I'll let you know if this makes me smart or am I going to be done by like mid-November and then in December continue to buy and then just like hate myself Christmas morning. So stay tuned for that update. Another update that I've got for you is that I am doing an Honest as a Mother volume two and I am so thrilled. I'm over the moon about it. I, I'm just feeling super grateful for the opportunity that like the first one was such a success and the feedback that I've gotten from some of you who have actually taken the time and like read the whole book. It just honestly so many tears have come over the last week. I am overwhelmed with happiness and support and just this has been such an amazing last week or so and I just I just wanted to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for making Honest as a Mother Volume 1 such a success so much so that you know Courtney and I had a conversation and we're doing Volume 2 so if you are listening and you feel as though that you have a story to tell please send me an email you can email me at honestasamother at hotmail.com or you can DM me on Instagram, whatever you'd like. Um, either works, but I have, I think, six authors right now in the book. I'm looking to fill up the book with between 10 and 15 women. So um, there are some spots left over. But yeah, if you have a story and you're ready to share it, or you just want to get real and honest about your feelings about motherhood and what it's actually like and you're sick and tired of playing the perfect mom game then come on over here because this is where you belong so honest as a mother volume two is in the works and looking for some more authors so if you've ever dreamt about being a published author i am your girl to reach out to so Today's podcast is actually two 
of the authors that are going to be in Honest as a Mother Volume 2, I have my friends Bex and Gucci, and they are a very cool mother-daughter duo. And in this episode, we're talking a lot about eating, food, body image. So trigger warning, Bex does talk about an eating disorder that she had struggled with in her past. So we were talking a lot about eating struggles, food issues, body image, stuff like that. The coolest thing about these two specifically is that Bex is around my age. Gucci is around my mom's age. And I find it so cool to listen to how much Gucci has worked through, how much of her own food issues she worked through because her daughter was struggling and how now together they're teaching women how to, you know, have a good relationship with food and how to love themselves from the inside out and really teach that to their own children. So this episode is so great, really filled my whole entire heart. This is such an important episode. Anybody who is a mom should really listen to this episode and really listen to the message behind it because these are the really important things that I want to implement into our household and uh, just really pave the way for positive thinking for our children. So anyway, I'm gonna stop blabbing. Enjoy the episode. Welcome Bex and Gucci to the show. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Honest as a Mother podcast. Today I am joined by Gucci and Bex and I am so excited to have this mother-daughter duo on today because we're going to talk all about body love and dare I call it what do we want to call it like I don't think we want to call it body positivity body neutrality yeah neutrality neutrality I I know I don't always love the word body positivity I don't really love that whole statement but I'm so excited to have them on because we're going to talk about you know healing ourselves and putting our own healing stuff onto our children as opposed to all of the crappy stuff onto our children. Mm -hmm. So welcome uh, Bex and Gucci to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you guys. Hey, lovely to be here, Amanda. We've had like quite a wild ride trying to get this on and we've just were joking around saying like we've both been sick and potentially both kind of just it was me. Let's just get real. It was totally me. That was Mm -hmm. been this up but uh can you guys give yourselves just maybe a little introduction to people who are listening who don't already know who you are yeah sure so I go by Gucci um it's a very interesting name and I am I guess I would now call myself as a lifelong student of how not to be at war with my body and I'm Bex's mom so we've been on this journey together for quite some time. And of course, at the beginning, I didn't realize we were on a journey together because that was the time in parenting. You didn't think about things like body image and how it would affect your children. Mm -hmm. And I'm Bex. I'm the younger cohort, although slightly older. I just had a birthday. Don't ask me how old I turned. No one knows. Not because I don't like my age, because I actually don't know. Um, you know, numbers, they don't really mean anything. So nope, you're right. I, you get no, to a certain age and you're like, I don't know. I'm like in my 30s somewhere. I don't know. 
right? Mm-hmm. Good enough ballpark. Um, I am a certified eating disorder recovery coach. I've got a background in social service work. And I do this work because I had to go through a really big tumultuous journey to even be sitting here today because of all of the negative beliefs I had about food, body, self-worth, that whole gambit. And uh, I consider myself to be one of the lucky ones. If you'd asked me that 10 years ago, I would have had a very different answer. But I do consider myself one of the lucky ones because I did do the work. And now as a parent to a little girl, it's very, very important to me that my daughter grows up with a different idea about herself. Um, and I'm really lucky because my mom gets to do the the journey with me, continues to do the yeah. journey. I actually find it really interesting because what you were saying earlier, Gucci, was like you are in that generation where like you didn't really have those conversations and maybe we didn't know they were that big of a problem right like I don't really remember my mom particularly my mom is just like one of those people who's genetically very thin and she eats pasta every day and she's just like one of those lucky people that you know weight is never going to be an issue for her but I can remember like my aunts and my grandma um always talking about weight and then I remember getting to a point in my life where it was like do I have to start watching what I'm eating even though I was very thin but because it was like a topic of conversation all the time or in the workplace I find even now in my workplace it's like people are always like oh I'm doing this diet I'm trying this like it seems like women and uh dieting is just always this topic of conversation that all of a sudden it's like huh maybe I should be dieting. Am I doing something wrong or whatever? So I think it's really interesting that you are doing this healing process and learning all this yourself because so many people from your generation still don't, I don't really think realize how big of an issue it actually can be. Um, Would you also mind Bex telling us like a little bit about your story and how you got here? And then maybe uh, Gucci, you could also chime in like how, what this has taught you. Sure. Um, A lot of this has been gleaned as a product of hindsight. You Mm -hmm. know, now I would say I've been fully recovered from my eating disorder for probably about eight to 10 years. I use the term recovered very specifically because when I was sick, everyone told me you are always going to be someone who has an eating disorder that you will always have to manage. Mm -hmm. That's depressing Mm because living like that is hell on earth. And I was very lucky to come across someone. Her name is Carolyn Costin. She's a forefront therapist in the U.S. for eating disorder recovery. And she actually uses the term recovered, that it is something that you can fully recover from. I don't spend any of my day anymore actively trying to be well. I simply am. So that's amazing. Um, But I think, again, in hindsight, I kind of was an anxious kid before all this eating disorder stuff happened. So there's a wonderful phrase that says genetics loads the gun and environment pulls the trigger, Mm -hmm. that there is no one cause for eating disorder. 
Um, you kind of have to have a perfect storm. So there's no guarantee if you have certain personality traits that you're going to have one. It's just this, it's, you draw a short straw, unfortunately. And I happen to be the person in my family tree who drew that short straw. And I mean, in hindsight, looking back, I think disordered eating and body image challenges and beliefs about what a, what a good woman should look like and how she should behave and how she should sound. And, you know, all of that stuff is pretty rife in my family tree, uh, passed down from generation to generation. And in me, it just culminated into a full-blown eating disorder. When I was in high school is when it really started, the behavioral piece started to show up. And there is, I say, again, I say that with a lot of deliberateness because the behaviors are probably the last piece that shows up. The belief system, the self-talk, the negative self-worth, the body image challenges, that all that's all developing before the behaviors show up. So there's stuff that's going on behind the scene before you can see the impact of it based on how a person is behaving. I struggled for so many years. My eating disorder morphed into a variety of behaviors. And, you know, I say to my clients that disordered eating is a spectrum from severe restriction to severe binge eating and everything in between. And really your behaviors may be predominantly at one end of the spectrum or the other, but if you have disordered eating, you're going to experience the whole gambit of behaviors at some, some point or another. Um, so I struggled, I think probably by the, around the time I was 15, it started to get really bad. Um, but you know, even 20, well, slightly more than 20 years ago, it still wasn't something that was really recognized or talked about. Um, Doctors didn't know, school guidance counselors didn't know. And so I think, unfortunately, a lot of that stuff flew under the radar for a really long time. Plus, I got really good at hiding it. I kind of knew it wasn't good, but I was embarrassed and I felt a lot of shame. And I thought there was something defective about me that I was feeling this way. So you get really good at hiding it and pretending as if everything is okay. Um, so this went on for years. And then uh, 2011 sort of had a come to Jesus moment, not by choice. And my body just gave up. That was it. It, it could not keep going the way that it had been going. And I found myself in the hospital, originally in a psychiatric ward, which actually was not the place I needed to be. I needed to be in an eating disorder ward. Um, but I was really lucky there was a, the head psychiatrist there was the very first person in all those years of professionals that I had seen, and I had seen them all, who said, you have an eating disorder. And I knew that, but there was the sense of relief of having it validated. Um, and that's sort of where my healing journey started. I was really lucky in the sense that because I was a bit older, I'm sure um, I realized that it kind of was now or never to do something about it. There was no way I could keep going the way that I had been going. And I committed to treatment. And that's amazing to do because there is no straight line in recovery. Most people, I say most because I can't speak for everyone, but everyone I've ever met in recovery 
it takes multiple tries. And that doesn't mean recovery is not for you. It's just, it takes multiple tries to, to really commit and to go through that process. So I spent almost a year in the hospital. Um, then I came out and had to learn how to live in a recovered, live a recovered life, not in the clinical setting where that was the only thing I had to do. And I kind of thought once my relationship with food was healed, I was going to be better. But actually, once my relationship with, with food was healed, what shows up is all the stuff that makes your relationship with food look that way. So that's, I think, where the real healing starts. And that's where you start to peel back the layers of why do I do this? What voice, whose voice is it that's telling me these things? What is the belief system here that's keeping me stuck? And I would say that's an ongoing process. Every time I think I've got it all, something happens. I'm like, oh, blind spot. Let's shine a light in here and pick at it till we figure out what's going on. Right. And do you feel like, okay, so I have never struggled from with an eating disorder. However, I have struggled with anxiety and depression and I find uh, I feel like the similar waves happen, right. With, all, with anything, I think in regards to mental health, you are recovering in some way, shape or form. And then all of a sudden now you're like, huh? So that's why I do that. Oh, okay. This makes so much more sense now because all of a sudden your self-awareness is heightened and you're like, well, shit, now I got to dive into this. And I really wasn't expecting this to happen. And you kind of get hit from all angles sometimes. And then you'll go for like months and everything's great. And you're like, I can do this. And then sideswipe, you know, your kid says something and it triggers you or which we're getting into for sure. <laughs> um, but I, I find it fascinating how the healing process for so many different things is all the same. Like it feels like we all go through the same bumps, like and healing is not linear. And we know that, but it's, it sounds very similar for someone who is, whether you're talking to someone who's recovering from a drug addiction, eating disorder, um, depression, PTSD, like it seems like we, I don't know, I think it's really interesting how that healing process is different, but also very much the same. Very much the same. And the other thing is that healing, not only is it not linear, it doesn't happen in a silo. You know, yes. everyone who comes to work with me is because they have a difficult relationship with food. And then we spend very little time talking about food because food is not the issue. It becomes part of the problem, but it's not the issue. And Mm -hmm. I think that's where for myself anyways, that's where those aha moments happen. It's when you're not expecting, you're like, oh, that area of my life is totally fine. I got this. And you're like, oh yes, everything is connected. Oh, I know. And it's so simple once you see it, but it's the process of seeing it that you're just like holy shit this all makes so much sense but and it seems so simple like I literally tell my therapist sometimes like you know it seems really simple but it took me like 10 years to actually figure this out but once you figure it out it's like a little light switch goes on and you're like wow that one little statement really impacted my whole relationship with food or whatever whatever it may be so Gucci I'm curious too like I would love to hear some of your perspective as the mom, because I mean, my listeners here are all moms and I'm sure there is a listener who can relate 
Okay, so I mean, interesting thing is, as a mom, particularly with eating disorders, um, it is still such an, uh, as Beck said, it's still such an misunderstood and not supported uh, issue in our healthcare system that I think as a mom, the first thing is you don't know really where to go to advocate. And when she, when Bex was younger, I mean, the choices were way more limited than they even are today. So that was number one headache. But I think actually the biggest thing for me, again, with the wisdom of hindsight, is this cultural soup we exist in as women, right? How can it, you know, how can my child be just battling with body image and food issues when actually we're just all primed, you know, thin is healthy, blah, 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 all those messages. And so to for a mom, I think to really figure out that you have to push all of that stuff away and actually close the door on all that soup that's around us with real toxicity and just say, this is my child. Understand that our bodies are really about genetics and just focus in on that. And there was no one who carried a message like that at the time. I mean, I grew up in an era where the fat kids who were at school with me were labeled as lazy, slobs. I mean, there were lots of labels around the kids who were bigger. I come from a genetically slim family. I also can say that despite that, you know, I was the era of the supermodels. It was all those kinds of things. So it was good. And when you're dealing with a kid who has an eating disorder, to try and actually clear your mind of all that toxicity takes hard work. But nobody said to me at the time, actually, you should be seeing a therapist. You should be getting help from somebody. Um, we had we had an interesting situation that happened when Bex was in her early teens is the family doctor we had, I think, went on mat leave. And the stand-in was the really coolest British doctor. She was just doing a, a short term in Vancouver. And she said to me one day, I just think this whole thing that's going on is unhealthy. And so, you know, that was one of those things as well. It's like, oh, I never, I, I could recognize that it was challenging for Bex, but I didn't think about it systemically as being unhealthy, that it was impacting the family and then the bigger family. Um, so that was a really hard thing for me to work through really without any support. When Bex talked about being in hospital in the psych ward and this psychiatrist who really helped, I one of the things I took away from a, a meeting that she and I had, Bex and I had together with a psychiatrist that has stayed with me forever, and I think is a really helpful piece. You come by whatever you have, honestly, whether it's anxiety, depression, addiction, eating disorders, and what have you. So the first thing is, don't look at the person who's struggling as if they are bad or defective. The second thing is, and she actually laid it out, she said to Bex, look at your parents. You know, your dad struggles with bipolar. Your mom, me, clearly has issues around anxiety, et cetera. And whatever has shown up in your life, it could have just as equally been sort of split between you and your sibling. You might have been untouched. Your sibling might have had everything. And it, that to me was just you know, it was almost a form of family counseling in a very conversational way that was just a 
bam, aha moment for me. And it's like, oh, this is us. Here we are. You know, we have to work this together because it is absolutely just the way it is. And I love that point because I think like that's one of the points of this podcast. Like we all have our stuff, whether you want to admit it or not. At some point, these things come oozing out of us, which kind of like leads me to the next part of our conversation. Because one thing I talk about so openly on this podcast is how I feel as though when you become a parent, that if you haven't sorted your shit out, your kids will make you sort it out. Bex made you sort it out, right? Like it's like what happened to Bex triggered all of these things in you and make you realize as a parent, oh, like maybe I have work to do and maybe I'm teaching unhealthy habits to my children and I don't even realize it because I don't know they're unhealthy or I don't know I have anxiety or I don't know I'm depressed or whatever it may be. Um, when I started this podcast, I started it because I had postpartum depression and specifically postpartum rage. And I realized like my children make me rage because they trigger me. They trigger me on so many different levels. And I find this to be one of the most fascinating topics in parenting. And I don't feel like as many of us are talking about it because I feel like we all want to hide our stuff, right? Like we don't want to say that we yell at our children or, you know, maybe we've uh, taught them unhealthy food habits. Like it's okay if you do those things. I think the best part is if we can just say, Hey, you know what? I screwed up because I'm a human being. So now I'm going to do my work on myself and teach my children. Like I talk openly all the time about how I am doing things way differently than my parents, but do I resort back to way my parents and yell and scream at my kids and maybe shame them once in a while? Absolutely. Cause I'm a human being. And then I just apologize and we move forward. And I find like, that's a huge piece of your story, right? Is now you, I'm assuming Bex are trying to relearn how to have food conversations with your own children so that you don't create the dynamic that you had in your own life. And then Gucci, I feel like you're also learning all of this for yourself and for Bex as well. Mm-hmm. Also love I'm getting on a bit of a tangent, but this is also important to say that it's never too late to do these things, right? Like never, ever too late. And in fact, and I'm sorry to over. No, don't, don't be sorry. You said something that just, you know, parenting is the new realm of perfection and morality, right? It's such, it's exhausting and it's bullshit because we are not teaching our kids how to be human. Human beings mess up. We make mistakes. We take multiple tries. That's all fine. That's not actually teaching your kid how to be perfect is not teaching them how to be a human being in the world that is not perfect. It is far more impactful to make a mistake. It's not the mistake the child's going to remember. It's Mm -hmm. how do you approach it afterwards? Do you take responsibility for it? Do you acknowledge it happened? Do you apologize? And do you then do better, right? That's the learning. It's not about doing it right the first time. That's bullshit. Nobody does anything right the first time. No, especially with this stuff. There's not not a handbook. You go see a psychologist. They don't even know how to tell you. It's different for every person, right? Like 
we were not written by a textbook. Yes, there are textbook cases, I'm sure. However, like like we said, healing is not linear. Teaching your children how to do these things are not linear. And then it's all your support. I'm going to call them support staff. How do I teach my husband, who's never had food issues, how to talk to my daughter about food? Yes. Who, how do we teach my mother-in-law to talk to my daughter about food? My mom, her, you know, my, my stepdad, all the people around us, how do we teach you or at least know how to put the right boundaries in place so that when you are in our home, it doesn't matter what you do in your home. Mm-hmm. This is my home and this is how we want to talk about food and bodies these are the parameters. So it's not just the work on yourself. It's teaching the people around you. It's consistently being aware of those boundaries and reframing them or rejigging them based on, you know, phase of life and circumstance and all that stuff. But it, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard work. Yeah. And to your point, sometimes you switch unintentionally back into what you know because it's the automation, right? Mm-hmm. That doesn't make you a bad parent. It doesn't mean you're not making progress. It just makes you a human being. Mm-hmm. Okay. So question I have for you, for people who are listening, who are like, okay, where should I start on the food aspect? When we're having conversations in our home regarding food, this is something that's coming up in my world now. My daughter is four. My son could care less. Like, you know, he eats whatever and nothing upsets his stomach, nothing. My daughter has GI issues. So we have a lot of conversations in my house surrounding food. And Scarlett now has a tendency of saying, is this healthy? Is this healthy? And I'm afraid of saying yes. So we talk more about like what that does for your body. Like this morning, she wanted a chocolate chip muffin for breakfast. And she's like, can I have this for breakfast? is this a healthy breakfast? And I was like, yeah, muffins are going to give you energy. And so we have like little conversations like that, but I can see it. The first time she ever said to me, is this healthy? Cause we've been in so many doctor's appointments talking about food because she has such a sensitive stomach that I've already seen at four years old, the light is turned on that she now knows like what she eats does things to her body. And she wants to know that she's making the right food choices. So I'm wondering like, where can, where should we be starting with the conversations about food? I don't know if this is too big of a question. If you want to just even break it down, I feel like this is such a huge one. Well, I think the first thing that you said, I'm, I'm almost afraid to say healthy. And if we think about that, the diet culture has commandeered the word healthy. Yes, that's what healthy that's exactly what I mean. mean. It makes you thrive. Right. It that's, gives that's you the I... best shot at having the best life and feeling the best, having great function, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally. And so it's it's too, you know, diet culture has made it healthy means thin. That's actually what it means now, right? Is this thin yeah. food? That's how people use it without even realizing it. But thin doesn't automatically mean healthy. So I think you're actually, it sounds like approaching it really well. What does this food offer? I think it's really important not to place any morality around food. It's not good or bad. All food has a purpose. Some of it is really for function, nutrient-dense food, which we 
we know we need. Some of it is for pleasure, which we need too, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't make it a good or a bad choice. If I'm eating for pleasure, that is a healthy choice. If it's bringing me some joy, some memories, the ability to engage with what's going around, relationship health is part of our overall wellness. Mm -hmm. So I think working through um, not teaching our children that healthy means thin. Healthy means does this make you live your best life? So that's, that would be number one. Um, in our house, we don't, we don't label food as good or bad. Mm -hmm. We don't, um, you know, there's certain things you don't have to finish everything that's on your plate. One of the ways to help perhaps help this as a generation break down this idea that healthy means thin is again, teaching kids to tap into how does this food make you feel? If it doesn't make you feel good, maybe it's not the right food for you. That doesn't mean it's good or it's bad food, but healthy is unique to you as an individual. What's, you know, I think about my stepdad who can't eat salt because he's got very, very high blood pressure, right? He eats salt. Okay, no, no one can see me. It's a podcast, but I made a dead fish face. Versus myself, I have exceptionally low blood pressure. So I have to eat a diet that's way higher in salt than what is recommended to be healthy. But if I ate that amount of salt, I would also be dead fish face all the time. The idea that health is something that an external factor can tell you what is healthy for you is not right. Mm -hmm. Those are only recommendations. Learning to tap into your own intuition around how does this make me feel? That is what is healthy for you. It doesn't matter what everyone else is doing. And you know, this is one of the reasons we always let our daughter say when she's had enough, sometimes that's two bites. And in the back of my head, I'm thinking, oh my God, you're going to be up 16 times tonight because you're going to be hungry. But she isn't. Mm -hmm. That's my perception of how much she needs. It's not what she needs. So allowing kids to have that, um, that autonomy over their own body messages so that they can learn what is healthy for them, not what they are told is healthy for them. I don't know if that answered the question at all. No, it does. And it's helpful because once they get to a certain age, they want to make these decisions, right? My daughter does the same thing. We eat great breakfast. She eats great lunch. She'll usually have a snack after school. Dinner, honestly, I can barely ever get her to eat it. It doesn't matter what it is. So she'll have the same, like two bites. And then at um, bedtime, I'll, Connor usually wants a snack and I'll say, Scarlett, do you want to have a snack? Like, I'll make you some toast, like just something. Cause I have the same fear that she's like, I'm not, I'm, you're not a baby. I'm not waking you up to feed you. But, um, so, but she'll say no. And she sleeps for 12 hours still. So that again, that's a me problem, right? Like I have this assumption that she requires to eat this like big dinner but in reality, she doesn't. And I have to trust her. If she says she's not hungry, she is not hungry. And you hear that all the time from pediatricians, right? Like when they're hungry, they will eat. But I think as parents, we have to actually take that advice because we tend to want to like force food on them because we're like, no, you have to eat your dinner because if you don't, like you're bad or something, right? But Amanda, what I love about you saying, I'm asking them before dinner, if they, uh, before bed, if they'd like a snack, what you're modeling there is, she can tell you if she wants a snack too. And Fair. I think that's yeah. where times have changed as well. You know, I mean, certainly when, when I was parenting young children, 
everything was so rigid and strict. And I actually can remember saying myself, if you don't eat your dinner, there's nothing else until tomorrow morning. I mean, that was what the belief system was. I wasn't being evil. We were taught after dinner, your kids should not eat anything else till tomorrow morning. You know, they could have a glass of milk or whatever, but that was it. And I remember repeating that message because that was the belief system at the time. You know, the children's bodies needed, I don't know, 14 hours or whatever the brouhaha was, you know, to digest and get clean and all that shit. And it's like, really? That's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. People still do it. They, I've had many people say to me, that's what I should do because my kids have always been picky at dinner. I don't really know. I know that some other people have told me like their kids don't like breakfast or lunch or whatever. My kids particular um, was dinner always. Uh, Now that Connor is a little bit older, he devours everything in sight. So I don't really worry too much about him, but they used to, I've had so many people say, well, you should just save that for his snack. And that's what he'll have for snack. Or, you know, he doesn't get anything else. And I'm like, I just, I can't do that. I feel like that's too many rules around food and then we're making like this weird concept around food I don't know it it gives well, me a- and you're making the kid feel guilty that they haven't eaten it especially if you're serving it up yeah. again right it's like the guilt yeah. of, of wasting stuff or whatever it is it like your your effort well and also people forget and I mean I am no stranger to doing this as well kids are people if it right. was an adult who wasn't hungry at breakfast, you wouldn't say, well, you have to eat it now. This is, this is the time breakfast is, if it's not now, it's never. You'd never say, you'd be like, oh, okay, you're not hungry right now? Well, when you're hungry, get a snack. Like we wouldn't question a grown-up whose appetite didn't wake up right. You know, my kid doesn't like breakfast. And I think she's a slow power-upper in the morning. Breakfast, not usually her thing. Morning snack, oh my Lord. That kid can power through. I mean, she can eat more than your dad at morning snack. And there's no there's no need for coercion or cajoling or encouragement. That's when she's hungry. But we forget that we think, oh, kids don't know. I think kids are way smarter than grownups because they haven't been socialized to think certain things are only appropriate at certain times. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So true. Well, even... Think about like, I don't know, my kids have woken up in the morning and asked me, can I have a chocolate egg for for Christmas? I almost said for breakfast. And I would say no. And then they'd be like, can I have Lucky Charms? And I would say yes. And it's like, well, what's the difference? Like, why all of a sudden is it like, Lucky Charms is a cereal, so it's like acceptable, but the chocolate egg is not. But in reality, they're the same thing because they're both really just sugar. Right. The well, chocolate egg might actually even be better. Might have less right? preservatives in it. <laughs> yes. And it's got some milk. Like we've got probably some good things in there. It's been interesting with my husband to come along. Because I think in early, well, I will be very, uh, very honest that the first year of my daughter's life, I was an anxious I mean, my anxiety hasn't been that bad probably in 10 years. Mm -hmm. And even though I have no food things, I recognized my food stuff was showing up for her. I was trying to get every meal perfect, every food group, you know, blessed by virgins in the moonlight, organic, 
blah, 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 all this stuff. And I'm like, wait a second, that's all the stuff I had to, as an adult, unlearn. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, because my husband is a man and is naturally very slim and eats like a horse, he does food stuff he doesn't understand, right? Why would he? And, you know, in some of those earlier days, we had conversations where he told me, I thought he thought I was being too permissive with food. Ella doesn't finish her dinner. You can still have a popsicle. You know, I put your chocolate chip cookie next to your pasta. You're going to eat the cookie first. Okay. And what I, you know, we have just this week had a conversation about this because I did exactly that. She had a snack and there was a cookie and cheese and grapes. She's like, don't give her the cookie first. She won't eat anything else. And I was like, there's, there's a method to my madness here. You know what she left on her plate? The cookie. Mm-hmm. Untouched. Okay. Yeah. Right? When we put things on a pedestal, when we make them something bigger than they are, and really at the end of the day, it's just food. That's mm-hmm. all it is. It's energy. And if you can provide a variety of choices, all it is is energy. And you might be amazed. Your kid may not go for the cookie first and leave everything else because to her, it's nothing special. Really. It's nothing special. I had one of these already yesterday, fresh grapes, you know? So we really have been working hard not to make any food, something bigger than simply part of what we eat. And some days popsicles are not on the menu for dinner. It's not, you're not having one because you didn't finish your dinner. It's just, we don't have popsicles for tonight. That's not part of dinner. This is dinner. Some nights we do, but there's no association that you get this thing if you do this thing. Yeah, no rewards associated. Yeah. We don't use food for a reward for anything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, that's really interesting. Someone brought this up to me very, very recently, and I tried it with the, um, my kids love those Lunchables, like the pizza Lunchables love them they go crazy for them and generally I would put like the little pizzas together on the plate and then keep the little chocolate bar off to the side so I put it on their plates they both ate the chocolate first but they also ate all the pizzas so I was like huh interesting so that is something I have been trying out like a snack plate for dinner or whatever I put everything on it including their little dessert or their little treat or whatever most of the time they eat it first, but they still eat everything else, which I found really fascinating. Cause I think we've always been trained that if you give them the dessert, they won't eat anything else because the right. dessert has to be earned. Well, and then you wonder maybe not so much like my daughter's uh, almost 18 months old. So she's a little bit young for this, but if that's the approach, as they get older, you wonder, well, why are you eating your dinner? Is it because you actually want it? You're hungry. It makes you, it makes your tummy and your body feel good. Or do you want dessert? Mm-hmm. And for me in my, in my house, I want her to just want to eat the food that makes her feel good. I don't want her to do so. And this we're talking specifically about food, but I mean, this could relate to any facet of a person's life. If you're doing something because of something, Mm -hmm. the decision to do it is not authentic. Something else is driving it. And that 
can create a lot of problems as an adult. Uh huh. For sure. Absolutely. Okay. So I have another question for you guys wondering if we can maybe give just a little bit of tips surrounding the boundaries earlier. We were talking about boundaries. I know that this is something that is really hard for us to implement as moms or dads, maybe if there's dads listening, when we're dealing with mother-in-laws, aunts or uncles, siblings, whoever, like I know in my house, we've implemented it because I've noticed that people will comment on my daughter's body because when she was younger, she was a super chubby baby. So now when people see her, they're always like, oh, she's thinned out so much. Oh, she's so tall. Oh, look at her chubby. She still has chubby little arms. Like, so I, I have had to have those really uncomfortable, let's get real. They're very uncomfortable. They probably went home and it's like, Amanda is a whack job, but I don't care because I don't want Scarlett to hear that she has chubby arms and someone's giving her a complex at four years old over her little tiny arms, like you know, normal four-year-old arms, by the way. Yeah. Like she's freaking four years old. She's going to go up and down and she's like as tall as can be. And I don't know. So I'm interested, like, what is your take? Like, how can somebody approach these conversations? What would your advice be to that? Well, I think two things, and I can see you've got something to say, so give me one moment, is that, um, one, setting boundaries is uncomfortable. You know, that that's, it just is. So don't think that if it's uncomfortable, that it's not the right place to do it. And one of the things that's helped me in my own personal life immensely is the more pushback you get from a person when you set a boundary, that's exactly the place you need a boundary, right? Because people who respect your boundaries just say, okay, and then move on with it. So if you're getting pushback, you're doing the right thing. That's definitely the place for a boundary. But I think one of the things is really to consider within yourself, ultimately, what is the most important? Is that is it that your mother-in-law or whoever has a certain opinion of you or that your child in their safe space, we're talking about in their home, the place, their sanctuary from all the shit and the noise that is in the world. Is your mother-in-law's opinion of you the most important thing or that your child feels safe and supported at home? So you kind of got to square that with you. And it's uncomfortable if people have opinions about you or you feel like they're judging you but where where is the most important place that your loyalties really lie and I think for most mothers when push comes to shove they would say for my kid right um I'm really I find doing this pretty easy but I've been doing it for 10 years filtering out diet noise so I have no problem saying to someone hey we don't have those conversations in this house um I tend to recommend people have them prior to people coming into their homes so that they know what the expectation is. People are going to make mistakes. Don't automatically assume that it's malicious or that they, they're out to get you because they don't agree with the boundary. Um, and then if you've had the conversation prior, you can sit, just gently say, hey, you know, just a reminder in our house, we don't talk about food or bodies. You know, um, I tend to keep it pretty, pretty broad. We just tell people we don't talk about good food or bad food, and we don't have, we don't comment on bodies, ours or other people's. Mm -hmm. People forget, or I'm going to operate on the the side of assuming everyone is doing it 
unintentionally, I just gently remind them, hey, we don't talk about food like that in this house. And the more and more you say it, it does get easier. I think it's that first initial like, hey, this is a conversation I don't want to have in my house. And it is super uncomfortable. It's awful. I have done it. And anybody who's listening, if you're worried that you can't do it, you can do it, but you just got to like rip that bandaid off and say it. And I think backs what you're saying, like put that in the back of your mind, like what matters most? Do you want to have this conversation 10 years from now when maybe we're dealing with, you know, God forbid an eating disorder or disordered eating of some way, shape or form, or do we want to nip it in the butt now and piss off our mother-in-law? Right. Right. You know, and then if you're really uncomfortable, own it. Yeah. So okay to say to someone, hey, this is really uncomfortable, but I just need to let you know that in our house, we've decided not to talk about food and bodies. Please yeah, pretty basic and covers oh, well. topics. Yeah. And actually, I think you did it the best because you started talking about it before Ella was even born. So, you know, when you're expecting or when you have a newborn, it's, I think other people hear it through your new parent thing and um, and and hear it better and well-intentioned that if you've gone down the track a bit, you know, and your kids are, I don't know, four, six, whatever, and then you think, oh, gosh, i got to put boundaries here. It becomes more difficult for everybody. So, you know, to any listeners who either have a very small, very young infant or who are expecting I would say those are the kind of, that's the place to start setting those boundaries. Um, And then people will say, oh, that's interesting. That's how they're going to parent. And they might be more curious than actually feel like you're kind of being a bit combative with them. Mm, Mm. That's a really good piece of advice. Yeah, you just laid the groundwork. And I think the thing we tend to forget when it comes to boundaries is you have to put them out there explicitly. We make them in our own head and then we're pissed off when no one's following them. We're like, how come you didn't know? It's like, I've totally done like that. didn't know. <laughs> you actually have to say the words, right? People and- are not mind readers. No, <laughs> but I assume that they are sometimes like, you know, how many of us have done that? Like, even with your own like spouse, right? It's like, oh, I thought you were going to take the garbage out. And then my husband will say, well, did did you ask me to? And it's like, no, but it's right there. Right. Well, it's the same with a boundary, right? You can't just assume people know that you've struggled with an eating disorder. So you're not going to want to talk about food. Like people don't, they don't think that way. Right. Yeah. I mean, the thing too, is then it's up to you. If someone asks, well, why don't you? I find that a great space. That's how I sort of do world advocacy so other people can clue in, oh, maybe, you know, we're all intelligent women. Why are we talking about food and weight? There's so many other things that we can talk about. This is not important. <laughs> Do you follow the Burt's Papaya? Absolutely. Okay. She said something once on a podcast that has stuck with me forever. And she has said her body is the least important thing about her. And I think that goes for all of us. Like we put so much like emphasis on our weight and what we look like, but who gives a shit what my weight is? Like I'm an author, I'm a podcaster, I'm a mother. I am super kind. I am really intelligent. Like I have so many other things about me that are way more of a conversation piece 
than how much I weigh or how big my boobs are or whatever it may be. Right. Like, so when you think about it that way, it's like, think about putting that perspective onto your children too. think about your children. Do you think of their weight and what they look like? No, you think about like how fascinating they are and how intelligent they are and how sassy they are. And I got one of those two. Mm-hmm. I got one as well. <laughs> the little girl, of course. Right. Like, but I don't know. So there's something about that statement that has always stuck with me that it's just like, your weight is actually the least interesting. Have you ever walked into a room and like met a group of women and really learned these things about these women and then be like, but I didn't notice like how big she was like, right. So how do we do that to ourselves? So instantly like, Oh, I'm the big girl. So this, that, the other thing, but then you go into a group of women and there is a girl who maybe is a plus size girl, but that's not ever something I notice about them. I noticed how, what a great conversation I had with them or how smart they are, or what business, how business savvy they are. And then all of a sudden it's like, but when it comes to yourself, it's like, well, I can't be business savvy. I'm plus size. Like what? As if the two things have anything to do with each other. Right. Like, so if I we had can a therapist, on our kids. you know, there are actually only, she said two, and then we were trying to rack our brains to think of others circumstances in your life where you your weight has to be known, your exact weight. And it doesn't have to be known by you. If you're going under anesthetic so they don't kill you, that's kind of an important one. And if you're being hoisted up in some kind of harness, also kind of an important one. Outside of that, when do you actually know how, when, when would knowing your weight have any bearing on what you're doing in that moment? Exactly. Nothing, right? So throw out the scale. Oh, I wish I could throw out the scale. You know what my kids are obsessed with right now? How much weight they're gaining. But I will tell you, they also give me a great lesson because every once in a while, it's like probably once a week, they want to step on the scale and then they want me to like measure them. Measure them. You know, Scarlett wakes up literally sometimes daily and goes, does my hair look longer? I think it got longer. I think I got bigger. And then she'll say to me, and my muscles are bigger. I must've had such a good sleep. And I'm like, oh dear Lord. But she'll get on the scale and she'll be like, she doesn't know how to read the numbers, right? So then I'll tell her what the number says. And then she'll get, okay, mama, it's your turn. And then I'll stand on it. And I'd never want to look down at it, but she'll go, you're so big, mama. I'm so proud of you. And I'm like, this is the energy we need to hang on to because she's right. I am a grown ass woman who eats every day and has is trying to have a healthy relationship with food, I should be clapping to myself. I like that. Yeah. I like her energy. When she says that, it's always a nice reminder that like, I should be really proud of myself. I've, you know, for, for whatever it is, but it's a, it's a great reminder. So get your kids to cheer you on, on the scale. If they're like mine. (laughs) Well, before we wrap it up, can you tell me, a little bit about how people can work with you guys. I know you guys also have your dear body workbook. Let's talk about that a little bit. Okay. So we do, we published our dear body workbook on Amazon in February this year, which was really exciting. And now it's available on our website. We also now have a member's subscription. So women can sign up and cancel at any time. But we, in our members area, we have resources that cover nine different areas all around body image. So body positive parenting, food stuff, 
over 50, so body image um, lessons and work for over 50s, family of origin, where do your beliefs come from, et cetera. So that's the members area. If you take a member subscription, you also get included in our GEM private community, which we run as a Facebook private group, where the women who are in that group are just wonderful. They talk all the time between themselves and share. And, and then we also have a once a month live call. So for all our members, we have a live call every month. The schedule is posted on our website. So membership brings you a live call where you learn from the two of us and other experts that we bring in. Um, and we actually are just starting to crystallize a really exciting new offering, which is how to create a positive body, a body like environment for your family. So particularly pitched at parents of children um, at home. So creating that environment at home. And we will be launching that in January of 2023. So it will be in a masterclass type of um, delivery mode with all the different things that we've spoken about today and more. Uh, there'll be more about that on our social media and on our website to come. And we think it's really exciting because, you know, what we can start with our kids young, it also takes the anxiety of being a parent when we can, when you know, Bex and I said when we started out My Gem Power, um, it really was how can we use our lived experience as a survival guide for other people? And so, you know, this is how we've worked to turn our life experience into offerings that we hope are going to help other women at any point in their life from sort of motherhood to menopause. Uh, and we would love to connect with women. Mm, I love that. I love it. It's it's needed. And I think there's nothing more powerful than telling, like turning your story into a way to help other women. Because when you lead those conversations, you allow a space where other women can come and talk about it. And because let's get real, when we're talking about our kids, like I said earlier, everybody wants to think they're this perfect parent when none of us really are. So I love that you're creating this space where it, women can come and be like, you know what? I am so indulged in diet culture and I'm teaching these things to my kids and I'm concerned about what I'm teaching them. Please help me. Mm -hmm. That's a beautiful place to, to, to start, right? Especially when you can come to someone else who's been there, done it, also doing the work. And then you can realize like, I'm not alone. I'm not a bad parent. Um, I just have to learn how to do this differently. And I can learn alongside other women, which is huge. Exactly. And I mean, learning is a lifelong journey, right? Yeah. So let's do it together. I love it. I love it. Tell everyone where can they follow you guys and find you? What's your website? Give me the goods. Okay. So our website is mygempower.com. And on Instagram, we are recover underscore with underscore gem. Perfect. So those are the two places you can find us. We also have a, um, a gem Facebook, uh, my gem power Facebook, but we tend to be more active on Instagram. As you probably know, Amanda, when you have multiple balls in the air, social media can just like run your life. So mm -hmm. we do let things drip feed into Facebook, but really we are more using Instagram because it's just we had to learn this stuff. Well, I did. I mean, I grew up in a 
non-digital era. So, um, you know, I figured I needed to limit my learning channel and to be very focused. <laughs> hey, listen, I also grew up in the digital era and I still need to learn and focus. This whole social media world is an ever-changing hot mess all day, every day. So you are doing a great job. Don't ever, don't ever feel like you're not because I don't know how to do it sometimes. And one last point I would just like to say about our book, Dear Body, You're Not the Problem, is when we started out with our sort of realization we had something to offer to women, we also recognized that on this on the sort of uh, continuum between therapy and self-help, there is a gap in the middle. And so we wrote Dear Body as a workbook so women can do some self-guided healing but then make the choice to come in either to us in our member subscription or take some of that to their family doctor, to their therapist, what have you. So we really, we really wanted to make sure that women could feel empowered with shaping their own journey to healing their body image. I love it. Thank you for everything that you guys are doing because you are healing so many people and helping us, you know, move forward a better direction so that we don't have to, you know, untame, as Glennon Doyle would say, our children later on in life or help them work through the stuff that we just decided not to work through. So thank you. And thank you both for this conversation. It's been so great. And uh, I will have all of the information that they left in the show notes. So yeah, thank you guys so much for tuning into another episode and we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye, man. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Honest as a Mother podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. I'm really looking forward to hearing from you.